The following episode contains graphic depictions of childbirth and miscarriage. Listener discretion is advised. I thought I was going to be a mom of two, and I wanted that life really badly for myself. I felt like this was taken from me. I was, I was supposed to have this life. So I was determined to try to have a family. I'm Patina Dixon-Jenkins, and this is my Unspoken Story. Welcome to Unspoken Stories, real stories of pregnancy, parenthood, and loss. So often these stories go unshared, but not anymore. Now it's time for us to raise our voice and share our truth. I'm Tatiana Ali. I have a son at home who is two and a half and another baby on the way. When I first got pregnant, I had no idea what was coming. And to be honest, I was scared. Birth was something mysterious that happened behind a curtain. So when my son's birth didn't go as planned, I was not only traumatized, I didn't think I could talk about it. You know, I kept it all inside. But recently, I opened up to a few of my close friends and the floodgates opened. Their stories came pouring out. I realized I would have healed a lot faster if my husband and I had just opened our mouths. So I wanted to talk to other moms and dads about their experiences because stories have the power to connect, heal, and inspire. Today we meet Patina. She's got two little ones at home. I have a four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. Uh, My daughter's name is Avery. She's a very similar personality to mine, so that's a big challenge to me. (laughs) She thinks about things before she says them a lot and will come up with logical conclusions, like if I threaten to throw away the ice cream because she tried to get some on her own, she will tell me, why don't you just let me eat it before you put it in the garbage? Since you're going to throw it out anyway. Like, this is... How her little mind works. So she's a challenge. Once her not-so-little brother Sullivan got added to the mix, things got interesting. They love each other. They have each other's back. Um, But they will battle. (laughs) Somebody picks up the remote. The other one needs the remote at that very time. Then they fight over it. Um, But if anybody says anything about the other, like um, they have two older cousins And if an older cousin seems to be, like, picking on one of them or saying anything bad about the other one, like, they defend their sibling, like, instantaneously and fully. So I think growing up, they will probably be close and have each other's back. Now, Patina's got the family she's always dreamt about having, raising a couple kids in Evanston, a college town right outside Chicago. Evanston is a great place to grow up. My sister and I were both born and raised here. Um, We're very close. We went to private school in Evanston, a really tiny private school in Evanston, and it's only about 10 to 12 miles from downtown Chicago. So you're really close to the city. You still get authentic neighborhoods, authentic food, um, but you kind of live in this diverse suburban life. It was the best of both worlds, and she got to share it all with her sister. They were only two years apart, but their mom and dad grew up in Jamaica and actually started their family there. My mom's name is Hazel. Um, She's 70. She had my brother while she was still in Jamaica. She was kind of on the young side, she and my dad, and then had two other children, two other sons, actually, um, that were also born premature and did not survive. She had referred to them as uh, miscarriages, but 
in talking to her a little bit more, it sounds like both were early births and neither boy survived. Um, and those were those were my two, who would have been my two older brothers. I think she was from an era where it wasn't uncommon to suffer birth, you know, birth trauma or um, baby loss. And you just kind of kept it to yourself. And that's just what happened. But when it came to her and her sister, Patina's mom was much more open about being pregnant with them. In fact, the story is something of family lore now. She would talk about how when she was on bed rest, she learned how to play the piano. Um, she took up needlepoint. <laughs> she did all of these things during this time that she was supposed to be in bed and be at home so that we could make it to full term. It was never a secret. It was always just part of our consciousness that this was something that had happened to her. And this is, is this was our reality. This is the reason why we're here is because she had to go on bed rest and go through all of this to, to get a successful pregnancy. Her sister was the first one to get pregnant. At first, everything seemed normal. But about six months in... She ended up feeling like she had contractions. She went to the local hospital here and um, saw somebody who said, maybe you should go on bed rest. I think maybe you could work from home. The ER doctor suggested bed rest and staying at home, a familiar prescription. But when she asked her OB she got a very different response. The doctor laughed it off and was like, why, why would you go on bed rest? You know, you're 24 weeks or whatever. This doesn't make sense. You're not contracting. Don't worry about it. That's so extreme. And sent her back on her merry way. She went back to her normal routine, commuting back and forth for work every day. But not long after, she felt the same pain again and went back to the hospital. And they said that she was in labor. When she got there, they inverted her hospital bed. So she was essentially laying on her back with her feet above her head uh, for a couple days. I went to the hospital to see her, packed a little kit for her from home because she was not expecting to be in the hospital. Um, <laughs> we always laugh about it. She was really excited to get her like headscarf to be able to like tie up her hair because she wasn't able to do her hair for like three days. So she was really excited to get that. Um, so I went to visit her in the hospital and she was still laying with her feet elevated in hopes of keeping the baby in long enough to get at least um, surfactant or any kind of treatment um, to help his lungs develop for when, you know, inevitably he would be born. I went home that night and said I'd come back in the morning and by the morning her son was born. He was only two pounds, two ounces. Um, his little feet were like the size of the tip of my index finger. I mean, he, he was just a tiny, tiny little guy. He was fully intubated. He couldn't breathe on his own, so he's on a ventilator. He was under blue lights because he had jaundice, and it seemed like the news was bad every couple days. They told us that he may not be able to walk. They needed to do laser surgery on his eyes because his eyes weren't developed enough to have good vision. Um, and the only way we could touch him was in putting our hands inside the incubator because he, he had to remain in there at first. But the family rallied around him. Even though the, the diagnosis, the prognosis was not good for him, we never thought, okay, this baby's not going to make it. They visited him in the hospital every day. Nearly three months passed. And slowly, he grew bigger. 
They said he had to reach this threshold of being five pounds before he could come home. So all the time we were waiting to see, is he five pounds, is he five pounds, is he five pounds? I was looking at the pictures a few weeks ago of that day that we brought him home and I'm holding him and he's so, so, so tiny, but for all of us, he felt so big. Like he was finally five pounds. He's so big, he's such a big kid. Um, and it's, looking back at it, it's completely surreal. Patina and her husband wanted kids too, but her first pregnancy was unexpected in ways that were unfathomable. She initially went to the hospital because she thought she had the stomach flu. They always ask, is there a possibility you could be pregnant? I'm like, I don't think so, but, you know. And they they tested, and it showed up positive, but my levels were lower than they expected. So they're like, you're pregnant, but you're miscarrying. So I found out that I was miscarrying. <laughs> I found out I was miscarrying the same time I found out I was pregnant, basically. I think I had maybe an hour of joy before they got the numbers, and then were like, it's too low, you're actually miscarrying. As I'm finding all of this out, there was a doctor that said, let's get you in and do a DNC so that you can, um, you know, the miscarriage can be finalized. A DNC is the surgery to scrape the uterus of lining and placenta after a miscarriage to lessen the pain of heavy bleeding. But it doesn't ease the heartache. And I was like, wait, hold up. Like, I just found this out. Like, can I get a second? I, what is this? What does it mean? Tell me what would be happening to me. And I kind of got this, like, you know, are you going to do it or not? And I was like, don't do anything to me. I'm going to go home. And I'm going to let this take its course on its own. If my body is miscarrying, let me miscarry. She went home to miscarry on her own. It was extraordinarily painful. Way more painful than I thought it was going to be. Way more painful than I thought it was going to be. It was like my worst period times, a thousand. But even after all that, she still had to get the DNC. That's when they realized she had fibroids, growths that can develop in a woman's uterus and can cause heavy periods, back pain, and sometimes preterm labor. I asked my doctor at the time about the fibroids and whether she thought that that might have something to do with me getting pregnant and miscarrying. She got what's called a histocell pingogram. They put ink in your uterus and your fallopian tubes to see whether the fibroids are blocking any tubes or blocking anything in the uterus. And they said it, everything seemed okay. They kind of wrote it off. Miscarriages happen all the time. Nobody ever really talks about it, but it's common. So I took that and said, all right, fine. <laughs> I was pretty bummed about the miscarriage. I was at a point in my life where I wanted to start my family. And even though I only knew for a little bit, I was like, oh, we could have started our family. Like, this could have been it. As her body and heart recovered, she did everything she could to distract herself. We went to Milwaukee, went to Summerfest. Um, I took this trapeze class on the lake, something I'd always wanted to try. And then by that summer, it turns out I was pregnant. And I was pregnant with twins. And we were shocked. Like, we were shocked. Every ultrasound, we would see the two. And pretty early on, we found out that we were having a boy and a girl, which was super exciting. Because by that point, I was 33. I was you know, almost halfway through my 30s, been married for a few years. I was like, this is it. <laughs> this is all I need. I'll have two kids. I'll have them both at the same time. And that's it. A boy and a girl, we're done. She made an appointment with an OB 
and wanted to lay it all out. One of the very first conversations I had with her is that my family has a lot of experience with premature birth. My sister had a 26-week baby. My mom had to be on bed rest with cerclage for both me and my sister in order to have full-term pregnancies. And this is something I'm really concerned about. Not to mention that twins carry even more risk of premature birth. So she assumed her treatment would be high risk from the jump. And she said, we handle multiple pregnancies all the time. We have twins all the time. There's no need to go to a specialist. This is a completely normal pregnancy. You're, you know, basically you're overreacting. Patina's body went into overdrive. She's not a tall person to begin with. And with two babies inside her belly, she got big really fast. I have a very short torso, so there's not a lot of space for that belly to go. So with two babies and two sacks, I got big pretty fast. People would ask, how many months are you? Eight and a half? No, six. <laughs> um, I was very, very pregnant, very noticeably pregnant. So every time I went to the elevator, every time I went to the cafeteria, somebody's like, oh, look at you. Oh, yeah, you're having twins. And people want to tell you about other twins that they know. <laughs> she started having contractions and wondered if it was Braxton Hicks, a kind of contraction that can happen, but doesn't necessarily mean you're in labor most of the time. I was having Braxton Hicks contractions a lot, just feeling tightening in my belly and release, and it would tighten, and you know, my belly would get kind of hard, and then would release, and I called a lot. I called, because I was nervous, and they would say it's totally normal, it's Braxton, Braxton Hicks. Women go through this all the time. It's because you're getting so big so fast. It's because you're carrying twins. Everything's normal. Don't worry about it. I didn't know what to think. I was trusting my doctor. A couple days later, she saw the thing every pregnant mama fears. I went to the bathroom, and I saw a little brown stain when I wiped. So I was like, I'm bleeding. Something's going wrong. So I called the doctor's office, and he told me to go to the ER did some ultrasounds. They saw that my cervix was still closed. Um, they observed for a little bit, and they said I was okay. So I messaged my doctor and said, I just wanted to let you know. I went into the ER for contractions, and I said, should I move up my doctor's appointment because of this? Do you want to see me sooner? She said, no, since your cervix is still closed, don't worry about it. I don't need to see you any sooner. I'll see you at your next visit. And then, like, two days later, I had my twins. She had had back pain throughout the pregnancy, but on this day, it got a lot worse. In the beginning of the day, it just it was a dull ache, lower back pain all day, and by the end of the day, I went from being in pain to laying on the floor and crying because the pain got so bad. And by the time I got to the car, the pain was unbearable, so I was very much in labor. She was having back labor. That's when your baby is in the sunny-side-up position. A telltale sign is intense back pain. She was only at 21 weeks. Her husband raced her to the ER where she was taken into labor and delivery. They said my cervix was dilated about one centimeter by that point. So they were trying to give me a bunch of medication to help the labor stop, and it wouldn't. The contractions kept coming. I kept dilating more, and eventually I was fully dilated. They couldn't stop the contractions, so I had a couple more contractions and delivered my son. I felt, you know, I felt him as he came out. Like, I felt his little arms or legs brush against my thighs as he came out. And they picked him up. They wrapped him in a little blanket. They cleaned him up. 
They put a tiny hat on his head. They handed me my baby, and I held him. He was warm, and then he started to get cold. So I watched my firstborn baby pass away in my arms. I introduced the baby to my husband, said we have a son. We had named him Cole. So I'm like, this is Cole. We had always anticipated seeing what they would look like, seeing their faces. Um, when they were still in my belly, I could feel where they were. One of their feet were always up under my ribs and the other's feet were kind of to my side. So, you know, I, I kind of knew them while I was still pregnant. I knew what, where they were and knew which one was where. So I met him, saw his face. The nurses asked if I wanted pictures of him. I said yes. So they took some pictures of him. Um, they asked if I wanted a picture holding him. I said no, because I didn't ever want to see myself in that moment ever again. And then, you know, as it was clear he was gone. They told me that the I would have to deliver my daughter. I was begging them to do something to let me keep her in. I'm like, you know, labor's done. My son's out. He's done. Like, let's sew me back up, do something so I could keep my daughter in. And they said the risk of infection was too high since my cervix was already fully dilated and there was still the placenta left to come out and everything else. They said there's nothing they could do that I would have to deliver her. They wouldn't be able to leave me pregnant. So that was like, that was the hardest. Because I think even delivering him, I still held on to the idea that maybe I could come out of there with one. Even if one had to pass away, like, maybe I could leave the hospital with one baby. So I told them, all right, well, do whatever you have to do to make me go into labor so that we can get this over with. Like, I'm not going to stay here for hours and hours and hours waiting for this to happen to me. So um, they gave me, I think, Pitocin to start labor for her. So my twins were actually born on two different days because of the, the time it took between the two. I feel like it was so devastating that the only way that I could talk about it without melting down was to see it as a movie. Like, it wasn't, I know it was happening to me, but I had to separate myself from the pain of it because it was so immense. My physical state didn't matter to me at that point because of what I had just experienced. I didn't realize how sick I was. The emotional pain was compounded by the trauma of delivery. Patina had lost so much blood, she was going in and out of consciousness. And it was her mom who noticed her hemoglobin test results were dangerously low. The normal range was 12 to 15, and mine was about 6. So I had less than half of what I was supposed to have. And my mom really stayed on it. My mom was like, you have to help her. You have to help my daughter. She's just gone through this. So they, they agreed that they would do a blood transfusion. I know from my own experience giving birth to my son that you have to advocate for yourself. I feel like if my mom wasn't there to advocate for me, I would probably have lost consciousness. I may have suffered more health problems. I may not have survived. I don't know. It saved her life, but that didn't really register. Once she was well enough, she returned to an empty home. I threw out all my pregnancy books. I couldn't deal. 
I hadn't really bought anything for the twins. Um, my husband's cousin had gone on a trip and came back with a little blue romper and a little pink romper. And I like I made him take everything out. I was like, just get it out of the house. I can't see any of that. She realized something else was missing. Her OB. She hadn't heard a word. I hadn't heard a peep from my doctor. Nothing. I had gone through all this. My babies were dead. Heard not a peep from a doctor. So I went into into the system and messaged her and said, that appointment that you told me to wait for, I'll, I won't be there because my twins were born and died. And she wrote back, I'm so sorry to hear that. She had no idea. She had no idea. I'm the patient that you're supposed to be caring for. I'm the patient that you reassured that everything was normal. And I'm the one that has to break the news to you. I honestly don't know how I got through that time. It was very dark for me. I ended up going to a grief therapist. I took my maternity leave, and I feel like I just sat in front of the TV. Her sister swooped in to support her. From the night the twins were born, she took my phone and said, I'm going to be the conduit. Because you get a lot of comments. Some people think they're well-meaning. They're not. <laughs> At least not in the moment when people say, this was meant to be. Or, it's all part of the greater plan. Or, at least you know you can get pregnant. Like, people said a lot of really hurtful things. And then there were the flowers and cards filling her house. No amount of stuff could replace her twins. Seeing all of it actually bummed her out even more. So she asked that people divert their energy towards a cause. Why not give a gift in Ava and Cole's name to March of Dimes? It's an organization dedicated to improving the health of moms and babies everywhere. So every time March of Dimes would receive a gift in their memory, I would get a card. So I would be at home just like zoned out, I would get the mail, and there would inevitably be a card in there that would say, a gift has been made in memory of Ava and Cole from so-and-so. So that helped, too. It felt like it gave it some meaning, it gave it an outlet. I didn't want to be surrounded by flowers, like grief flowers or bouquets or sad cards. Like, it was too much. But to be able to have an outlet for it and to be able to say, this happened, but maybe because this happened, maybe this one $20 gift will be the gift that funds the research that makes sure this doesn't happen to somebody else. So it felt like there was some purpose behind it. She still wanted a family. I thought I was going to be a mom of two, and I wanted that life really badly for myself. Um, in hindsight, people ask me, like, how could you go right back in? Like, you're so strong. And I was like, no, I was just, I felt like, this was taken from me. I was, I was supposed to have this life. I was so close to having it. I was two-thirds of the way through my pregnancy. When I delivered my twins, I really wanted this life for myself. So I was determined to try to have a family. About a year after the twins were born, I found out that I was pregnant with my daughter, Avery. And I was super nervous. She was going to do things differently this time. She found a doctor who specialized in high-risk pregnancies. First appointment, first consultation, I told them exactly what I was up against, exactly what I was suffering. They said, we're going to see you as much as you need. They put me on progesterone injections. So once a week, my husband had to give me this injection in the butt with a giant needle 
but that was supposed to help me from going into premature labor. Throughout this pregnancy, she was super cautious. I was very stationary. I gained a ton of weight during the pregnancy because I was so scared. About halfway through the pregnancy, I started feeling contractions. It was around the same time that I had my twins, and I couldn't take it. I was like, I, this is nerve-wracking. Not again. This time, she made the call. She was staying home, and that was that. So for 20 weeks, I worked on my couch, with my feet up, with my laptop, in the house with my dog, and gained weight and stayed off my feet. Um, but it paid off. I went in for my visit at 40 weeks. They said, your fluid's a little low, you're going to have your baby today. And I labored for 23 hours with her, ended up having an emergency C-section at the end of it, but delivered a healthy baby girl. And I, I cried. Like, as soon as I saw that she was out and I heard her cry, I was like, thank God, I finally made it. I had a full-term baby, and I didn't know what that was like. Holding her and just seeing that she was alive was everything to me. It was like I had finally made it to the finish line. The baby that I thought I was going to have this whole time was finally in my arms. Looking at her daughter for the first time, she was struck by the resemblance. She had the same nose as my firstborn, my son Cole. Um, that was the first thing I noticed about her, was her little tiny flared up nose. She looked just like, she had the same nose as my, my, my boy twin. Bringing Avery home felt surreal. <laughs> Bettina had barely planned on it. This whole time we had this big empty house waiting for our family. So to finally have a baby to put in this house was, is unreal. I had been very scared, so I only had a crib. That's the only thing I was allowing in the house. I only had a crib and diapers, like just the very, very essentials. She had her little family, and together the three of them grew. But quickly, about 18 months later, Patina discovered she was pregnant again. We actually had said we would wait till Avery was a little bit older and maybe potty trained and a little more self-sufficient before we had another child. So Sullivan was actually a little bit of a surprise. And we found out we were expecting him. And again, I was a little, still a little nervous, but finally having a baby that stayed, um, I wasn't as nervous as I was with Avery's pregnancy. But with Avery now a thriving toddler, she had the confidence she could do this and took a totally different approach this time. So I stayed active. I walk every day. I have a Fitbit, so I would get my 10,000 steps every day, even pregnant with him. Um, and I felt good. I felt good. I felt confident. And she didn't hesitate to bring her doctor in on any concerns, big or small. The high-risk doctor said, if anything feels weird, tell us. We'll have you come in and let us look. Let us make sure for you. Don't guess. Don't worry about it. Come in and we'll confirm. Again, I was enormous, and people were always asking me if I was due any day. I'm like, I'm like six months pregnant. Like, Some things were the same. Things were good. She was healthy, and so was the baby. But her belly had gotten so big, she couldn't see her feet anymore. And one day, she took a little bit of a tumble. It wasn't a big deal, but... I was talking to my cousin and told him what happened. He was like, why don't you call the doctor and see what they say. I was like, well, I feel fine. Like, I didn't, like, fall. I didn't hit my belly. I didn't even hit my knees. It just kind of stumbled. I missed a step because I can't see my feet anymore. He said, just call them. You know, they said to call them. So I called the, called the high-risk doctors. They said, come in. You took a fall. 
just come in. We'll just check. So I came in, and I was in labor. Patina felt like she was living in the twilight zone. The contractions got to the point where I was having them every three minutes, and they were intense to the point where I couldn't talk through them. And they tried to help stop the contractions, but they wouldn't stop. So I was like, this is kind of deja vu, but I'm 32 weeks. He is big enough to make it. I'm okay with this if he has to be delivered. But this time, things were different. After being in the hospital for four days, the contractions stopped. And I got to go home. So he was born at 36 weeks, but he weighed the same as his sister was at full term, even though he was a month early. So to get that healthy baby boy in my arms, I mean, it was just, I feel in a lot of ways, I was able to get that family that I thought I was going to have. And it, it felt really complete. It felt really good. Avery and Sullivan are quite a pair. My son is pretty big. Even though he's full two years younger than his sister, they're almost the same size. They wear the same size shoes. And whenever I have them in a double stroller or if they're sitting, because she's, she's, she's taller than him. He's pretty big, but she's still taller than him. But if they're sitting, they're the same size and they look alike. So without fail, anytime I have them out together, double stroller, going for a walk, at a festival, wherever, somebody says, your twins are so cute. And I like kind of laugh to myself like, I was supposed to have twins, and everybody thinks these two are twins. So I feel like every single time I go out, I'm reminded that I had twins, and I kind of kind of have twins again anyway, um, which it, it just kind of feels like a wink from the universe to me, um, and I, I appreciate that. Her family and her heart is full, and now she feels a responsibility to talk about her experience. People still don't talk about a lot of this stuff, even though it's more common than we think, than we would ever know. And just the act of sharing it can help somebody feel like they're not alone, that someone has gone through this and has come out on the other side. When I was in the darkest part of my grief, I felt like maybe I'm just not meant to be a mom. Maybe the universe is trying to tell me that this is not for me because I was so close to having this, this life as a mother and it was taken away. And coming out of that to the point where I'm now raising these two beautiful children, I never thought I'd be here. I've been in the darkest part of that grief. For another mom who might be in that dark place, to know that somebody has been in the exact same place and has come out on the other end, I think that's really important. She hopes conversations like this will encourage more women to speak up. And if that can help someone, even if it helps just one other person, it's worth sharing that. And I, I hope that the act of sharing makes more people comfortable with sharing it so that others around them know that this is normal. This is real. This is something that happens and you can live through it. You can survive it. You can come out on the other end and still be a mom. You can still come out on the other end and someday you'll actually smile and have joy and hope in your life again even though in the toughest part of any of these experiences, it may not feel like it. Thanks to Bettina Dixon Jenkins for sharing her story today. It is so important that these stories don't go unheard. So please share this episode with a friend and then subscribe, review, and give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening. To share your story and join the conversation, please visit us at unspokenstories.org. 
This podcast was produced by Fanny Co. with March of Dimes and Purpose. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Recording services by Studio Media in Evanston, Illinois. And Outpost Studios in San Francisco. Thank you for listening. <laughs>